and welcome to the All Japan Women's Destiny podcast. I'm your host, JD. Welcome to another episode as we go through the history of All Japan Women's Professional Wrestling through the classics episodes that you can find uh, on various places of the internet. I vastly encourage to follow along and learn and enjoy the history of this just awesome women's wrestling promotion of the past. This is a spin-off in conjunction with the Red Leaf Retrocast. That is the proper episode where these come from. We hope you enjoy our audio and our uh, discussions over the various wrestlers and the matches in which we go through the ages. If you like what you hear and you want more content, please consider checking out the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash redleafretrocast, all one word, where we also cover LLPW, various other uh, women's wrestling promotions of the past, and the project that the whole reason it exists is the Joshi 2010's journey, where we go through coming out of the dark ages of Joshi professional wrestling and really learning and having fun with wrestlers that we're very familiar with to this day to ones that we may have missed out on. I hope you enjoy the audio you're about to hear covering AJW. And if you want more, please, again, consider signing up to the Patreon and leaving us reviews over at iTunes, Spotify, and the like, all your favorite podcasting outlets in which you listen to AJW and the Redley Fletcher cast. Enjoy. Episode 84, All Japan Women's Classics here, All Japan Women Destiny. That's right, we're continuing our journey through All Japan Women through the ages. And hey, if you like what you hear on this part of the podcast, then might I point you to the LLPW reviews over on the Patreon, patreon.com slash redleafretrocast. Okay, so this is part two of a Wrestling Queendom from 1993, and in the previous episode we went through kind of, uh, not so much the first half, because the classics don't kind of, don't split it that way, what they do is they kind of make their own card, a couple undercard, a midcard, and then a big time main event type deal, and this will cover the remaining matches, uh, highlighted by the Toshio Yamada, Manami Toyota, all Pacific title match which was the actual main event of Wrestling Queendom. And I mentioned this last time that Aja Kong, despite what you may read, and her winning over Bull Nakano and taking this title, in this era, she I, I, I can't consider her the ace, okay? She's not main event in these shows. 
She's not the highlight of most of these interpromotional warfare matches. Hell, on this show, she's in the mid-card against Eagle Sawai, while a big-time, quote-unquote, dream match. Eagle Sawai, as I'm covering in the LLPW reviews, she's not even number two (laughs) in her home promotion. She's number three at best. Four, if you want to argue Norio Tateno, right? Because you got, and and if you're getting, well, I wouldn't go Harley Saito. I, w- I wouldn't go that far. But it's definitely Shinobu Kandori, Rumi Kazuma, and then I would argue Norio Tateno to an extent is still a little bit above her because Eagle Sawai, while very much booked strongly, she's not the strong guest. If you catch my drift. And when I started really thinking about kind of that hierarchy, Aja Kong, while she's champion, yes, she is the champion. But you know who's really main eventing all these shows and is the focus of the promotion and the matches that follow? It's Akira Hokuto. She is number one. Bull Nakano is still a much bigger star at this point in time. And frequently, Manami-Toyota or the combo, the gold team combo, if you will, of Toyota and Yamada are the ones main eventing. Remember, Dream Slam was main evented by the FMW duo against Toyota and Yamada. It wasn't Megumi Kudo against Aja Kong. You know, while that is coming, that was that 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 is that was not the case back then. Uh does do things change over time? Absolutely. Absolutely they do. Okay. But we can't we we really get when we start looking back in the past, we look at records too much in wrestling as opposed to what the reality was. Uh especially when you're trying to get the context of the time and relive it. Like Dusty Rhodes for like a random example, even though we're talking about women's wrestling, you know, he was never a long-term champion. In fact, I he only he 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 never won it all that often. He but he was the focus of various territories, and I'm I'm more or less talking about the like the big NWA title. The man was Ric Flair, but in Dusty Land, he was the guy, title or not. Okay. Uh, I mean we can we can also point to the the time period in AJW in the late '80s, where even though. Uh, uh, de Gallo was not the Red Belt champion. The Crush Gals were the biggest stars in the company, the focal point, the aces. They were them. Okay, uh, and I mentioned this on on the 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 stardom part of the podcast over on Redleaf Retrocast that people look at like a Nanai Takahashi being the first champion as as way too much value to what it really was at the time. It was a promotion kickstarting off the ground, a bunch of new trainees, and the actual focal point of the promotion was Yuzuki Aikawa, okay? So I'm really comparing a lot of different eras and aspects and promotions comparatively to this particular era, and Wrestling Queendom uh, really hits that home hard uh, after the success that has been 1993. Uh... And there was a post uh, not too long ago that was thrown out. Uh, uh, it was it was um, there's been posts about Minami Toyota and AJW in 1993 and 94. And uh, there's there's various podcasts out there that have 
briefly covered AJW from this particular golden era. And one one came across my timeline and it got a little conversation started with AJW was hemorrhaging money. They were bleeding money. They weren't making much money. And no matter how much research I could uh, I could read and get my hands on and find, I never found any evidence that that was the case. And it seems to be this like Mandela effect where we're, it's it, it, this happens a lot in in uh, Joshi wrestling in particular because it's not covered by heavy outlets and really the only source out there is you yourself translating a lot of articles or reading the Observer uh, from different parts of the eras it wasn't as covered as much as say new japan or uh all japan the men's promotion and western wrestling but it's it's very it's not uncommon that word will get around and then the word evidence or not is kind of just accepted as fact and that is that ajw was losing money now what i could find and if anyone's out there that can correct me and point me to the evidence on the contrary, feel free. I'm more than willing to to learn. What I'm saying is what I have found and read, whether that's in The Observer, is AJW, the wrestling promotion, is making a lot of money in 1993. This uh, uh well, tactics and, and uh, quote-unquote warfare has been exceptionally profitable for the promotion, whether they get 10,000 plus into Osako Joe Hall or not, like Dream Slam was a mitigated and critical success. This Wrestling Queendom show, despite not beating uh, the uh, the show from August, uh, which was... Oh, I'm just getting the name here so I, so I get it right. Uh, not Marine Piad. It was... Uh, Legacy of Queens from August, which has seemingly replaced their uh, the Midsummer name. They're going through name changes in '93 as well. Uh, Marine Piad seems to be uh, in uh, same thing with Saint Final Battle. They're not really exactly at the same times each year, but they're replacing the times with a new named event. It's kind of like what Stardom did, where. It's no longer year-end climax is the year-end big show. It's now Dream Queendom. Okay? It's it's a nice little rebranding. And what we've seen here is now Marine Piad is being replaced with the name of Wrestling Queendom. Because uh, they're going to do more of these later. Uh, Saint Final Battle was usually around, you know, St. Patrick's Day, February, March. And we're going to have another one here uh, in a couple weeks on December 6th. Uh, for another super show, which I believe is going to take place at Sumo Hall, which is what we talked uh, uh, talked about in the previous episode about how there was the Osaka show and their bitterness towards Tokyo getting the bigger and better cards. Uh, so that's kind of what we're dealing with right now in this AJW era. I find it very fascinating. I find it interesting. And... The fact that AJW is being able to make all this money, and I don't know how much the wrestlers were making, but if it's any, uh, if there's any indication that they they are pretty well off because of how many dates they're doing, and the uh, they're starting to do merch merchandise sales and the like. Uh, the best article I could find to kind of back this up 
is a, an interview surrounding Dump Matsumoto in which uh, they would make so much money as the promotion, suitcases would just be filled with ticket sales, right? And and um, among other things. And Dump Matsumoto was very well off. Now, if you want to have the conversation that they weren't uh, compensated to the degree of what the promotion was raking in, okay, we got, we got a conversation there because absolutely that's the case. I mean, that's what athletes... Uh, have have the um, uh, the the players union for in the first place in sports, so organizations can't ream their ream their talent and underpay them because there's no other place to work, and that's a that's another good thing that's happening right now in this era is JWP and LLPW in particular as the one two punches. It, it it's created a healthy environment where talent can work. And there is bargaining chips on either side of the coin. Now, even though over on the LLPW reviews, I'm like, okay, they're running like monthly Corkins and they're selling those out. Allegedly 2,200 people just about every show and wrestling's hot right now. Uh, the, the house shows, from what I can tell in LLPW, aren't doing so well because the promotion maybe isn't as hot as they think it is outside Tokyo. And getting outside Tokyo is the hard part for a lot of these promotions. So we'll keep looking at how uh, AJW is doing financially. Currently in Japan, they are going through an economic downturn, especially in things like real estate. Real estate. So the Matsunagas, the owners, are indeed making various investments. Whether or not those investments are paying off is... I believe a different conversation and story than AJW the promotion uh, making money for them. It's there. If you want to argue that it's offsetting all of the poor financial ventures of the owners, you can say that. I believe. I believe that's a sound uh, argument and assumption to make as we go through uh, the next number of years, because I think one of the also bigger uh, uh, ex- uh, ex- exception of assumed fact is AJW uh, goes through tough times as soon as that dome show hits at the end of 94, they're done, right? N- well, no, that's not the case because they are still drawing well and, and doing good business. But again, if you point to the business ventures and the investments of the main company slash the owners, that's, again, I think, a different story to be had. Okay, let's get into the rest of this card. So, Mr. One Dave Meltzer, who was very much adamantly covering the promotion at this time, gave a couple of these matches some damn good scores. One I uh, pretty much agree with, uh, spot on, and then another match I do not agree with at all. And in fact, there's uh, I'm going to point to two of them, actually, that we're going to cover here. So the first match, and 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 he's not the only one. I've seen a lot of people uh, that watch these AJW shows from this golden era of in ring wrestling, uh, and they just kind of accept. I've seen I've seen a pattern of exception of instead of taking what you think is 
your opinion of the match. It's just it's just this, oh, well, it's been rated four stars by everybody, therefore it must be at least four. Uh, I'm definitely going to lean and break that trend now. So uh, let's begin with the, the first match on the next half of Wrestling Queendom here. It is Tomoko Watanabe defeating Candy Akotsu in 12 and a half minutes. I can best describe this match as... A, uh, I won't call it a rookie match, because they're doing a little bit more than that. Uh, I would call it, like, the sophomore match. You know, it's a little, almost like a, an MLB player where they're supposed to get into the sophomore slump, but uh, they're in AAA doing well. Hello, kitty cat. <laughs> you want to snuggle down here? I know, it's very cold. Very cold. Yep. Oh, he wants, he wants, he wants warmth. He does. I do not have heat in my house currently. <laughs> uh, okay. So yeah, uh, I, I rather enjoyed this. This was straightforward. Uh, maybe a little too long for the kind of match that they're able to put on at this point in time. And to be an opener, uh, I, I won't, I won't uh, complain too much about it. I like Kandu Kotsu. I like what she brings. If I was covering JWP, she'd probably be one of my favorite up-and-comers. And we shall move on to the AJW Junior title. And this is going to be a topic of conversation, I think, going forward with these. Uh, so I spoke about that Japanese tag title match last time. Kaoru Ito, Saki Asukawa beating Carol Midori and Yashikura and I. Uh, what we're going to see are these two titles, the Japanese tag title and the AJW Junior title, as I will call them consolation prizes for JWP and LLPW, so they don't look like total chumps when all of their uh, future mid-carters and main eventers are booked to eventually lose all the time. Uh, but Ch Chaprita Asari is the uh, junior champion here against the rookie Mizuki Endo, 13-minute match. Endo, at this point in time... Look, she's she's a rookie from LLPW, so she's very, very grounded. She's much bigger than, well, Asari in this case. And in in the sense of Asari, her matches, people are very much into the backspring mule kick and her setting up for the Stardust Press, okay? The corkscrew moonsault. And that's what this match was. It was a lot of ground and tease, and then they ended up getting to that point of the Stardust Press, where she kind of flattens out. But I believe I covered that last time, but that was a match I do not agree was four stars in any way. The real match we should be talking about is this Kyoko Inoue against FMW's Yuki Nabeno. Okay? So, if you watch the classics, it's like three minutes. Okay? And... When you watch it, you go, okay, that looked like the full match. Wrong. This match, and I'm not kidding, went 12 and a half minutes. And when I can describe this to you as a hilarious travesty of a match, <laughs> it's a must-watch situation. You will not believe your eyes. Yuki Nabeno is like... <sighs> How do I say this without being mean? She, let's see, 
oh, I'm really struggling here because the I'll I'll say it. She might have Down syndrome. Okay, that's what she looks like, and I'm sure she doesn't. But she's got the the facial structure and the uh no, nah, it's not that bad. But you you like when you see the hair and the clenched lower lower jaw and how she move like she's short and stubby it's uh it's quite the look you know and the ripped off baywatch gear that does not fit properly she is a very special appearance <laughs> and she's against kyoko in a way who's in like knockoff if uh, ultimate warrior wanted to cosplay as tatanka so man, I I am I am burying myself here with with non twenty twenty three analogies, but man, th- this this was terrible. This match was an atrocity. I I could not believe my eyes, and the the onlook of Yuki Nabano starting this off really sets the stage. There's a lot of groundwork. There's wobbling on the outside at times, but. But the the real fun is where Yuki Nabeno has to run and do shoulder blocks to Kyoko Inoue. And inside five minutes, this woman is blown up. She can't breathe. She can't move right. She certainly can't run. It almost looks like she has no athletic bone in her body. And nothing was on display more than three particular moves in this match. And you miss one of them if you don't watch the full thing. And you bet your ass I I sought the full thing out. Because she does a cross body to the outside in which Kyoko Inoue standing there, and I'm not kidding you, Yuki Nabeno jumps like two feet to the right of Kyoko Inoue and splats herself, not on the tiny little mat they have set up outside. It's like an inch from face first through, through a guardrail and hitting nothing but fucking solid cement. She essentially tried to commit suicide on this dive. I don't know how you jump and miss a standing object and you go two feet to the right, but that's a great analogy of you couldn't hit a tennis ball, or you couldn't hit a barn with a tennis ball. (laughs) You know? Actually, you couldn't hit a uh, tennis ball with a barn. (laughs) It may work, too, in the case of Yuki Debano. Well, she gets back in the ring, she tries to come back. She goes to the top rope and another case of a crossbody. I have never seen someone so bad in my life. I mean, this is a Kemi Torisu type bad, but a Kemi Torisu was thrown into shoot fights against Bat Yoshinaga. Like, this is an actual wrestling match, and you're like, okay, maybe Yuki Nabano is Kitty. What are you doing? Get out of there. Hey, don't go over there. <laughs> Uh, you'd think Yuki, okay, Yuki Nabano, ah, she's like a rookie, right? Maybe this is like the fifth match of her career. And if you're thinking that, and she's on this wrestling queendom card, why the hell is she against one of AJW's biggest stars right now? Like, what did Onita do, uh, to the Matsunagas in order to grift one of his wrestlers onto such a big card? He's, he's, he's one of the kings at it for a reason. Yuki Nabano debuted... Three years ago, <laughs> basically, she has been wrestling for three years. It's it's quite incredible. So when you go up and see 
her try this next crossbody, and she essentially like short jumps herself, and it's like a jumping bear hug in which she, she just falls like a rock. It, it, it it's it's not even like horizontal; it's just vertical, and they just kind of collapse on each other. It's 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 so funny. So now she's blown up. She can't do anything. They're trying comebacks. The crowd is audibly laughing at these moves. Okay? They just find it so funny this woman is trying... And Kyoko Inoue just does not what know what to do with this woman. She's trying everything she can. She's putting like her in a, a cross-legged submission and she's dancing and shaking her butt uh, and, and watching Yuki Nabano just attempt to, I guess, walk the ropes would be a better description. But she's got to set her up for the comeback, brother. And here it goes. Yuki Nabano gets set up for a German suplex. And just cannot, like, Kyoko jumps. She does not sandbag her. Yuki Nabato just has, not only does she have no athletic ability, she also has no strength. And Kyoko Wene just splats on her face. <laughs> and by this time, Kyoko, I think, finally decides, we're going home. This match is done. And... She puts her away with, the, like, she just does a, a basic little, uh, I think it was like a falcon arrow or something, and hits her with her, like, third move in a match, generally, the jump leaping uh, elbow drop, and just pins her. Just, it doesn't look like Kyoko's, sw- it's it's very uh, reminiscent of the Harley Saito two-minute squash match earlier on the show, but it went ten minutes longer. So Kyoko went away. Is just dancing around the ring. She's she, you know, she's not sweating. What a match! Like, if if I let me think about this. Oh, there's some bad early '80s ones, but no, this no on on a on a major show with the training at this point in time and the expectations. This just might well be the worst match I've seen on this AJW journey. It's simply incredible. Like, these are the type of things where you go minus something stars. And I'm so happy I watched it. We move on. Bull Nakano against Hikari Fukuoka, the rising star of JWP, uh, What? who used to be, I believe, earlier in the year, uh, was kind of a Minami Toyota knockoff, like copying all the moves, copying the look. Hikari Fukuoka has really come into her own as 1993 has gone on. And some of those matches in the Grand Prix we were able to find and watch were uh, amazing. Um, she's not all hits. She does miss sometimes. She's still learning. Uh, let's see. At this point in her career, I saw one review that called Hikari Fukuoka a rookie at this point in time, and no, she debuted at the end of 1989. So she's she's there. You know, she's she's four years in at this point. So there's there's uh, there, there's no reason to call uh, this woman a rookie, and she's up against Bull Nakano. I went into this super excited. I saw the match time of uh, just under 14 minutes, and this is coming off one of my LPW reviews where Mickey Honda is kind of in a similar position in uh, LLPW, but in her case, you can tell that they really don't have the drive to make her kind of a top player. But in terms of, like, in-ring, 
at this point, I would say Honda and Fukuoka are pretty comparable. I, I would still put Fukuoka higher and certainly with a higher ceiling. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't uh, <laughs> question it. Well, that Bull Nakano Mickey Honda match was phenomenal. It was it was Bull Nakano setting up for the big sell jobs and setting up for the big near falls, and I more or less expected a similar built and structured match. Uh, and Bull Nakano was just so good at doing these things. Well, unfortunately, this match was quite bad, and it had a lot to do with I think Fukuoka was expecting a. Dynamite Kansai or Devil Masami type opponent where they would no-sell and they themselves would just beat on her and beat on her and beat on her and that would be the structure. And while that's mostly the case, uh, Fukuoka doesn't realize that Bull Nakano doesn't operate that same way. She's very giving and not selfish as a as a wrestler. So there, there are many times in this match where Bull Nakano's trying to egg her on, where it's like, hey, fight back, now's the time to start hitting your moves. And Fukuoka kind of doesn't know what to do with this, and she just keeps resorting to the same thing over and over again where she's throwing forearms. But because Bull Nakano no-sells quite a lot, the match really goes into a just a, a flatness to it all. And, uh, you know, you see instances as you're going on where Nakano's like, okay, try your, try the, um, the wheelbarrow, like, spin pin that Minami does that you, you can do. We'll tease it a couple times, and then you'll go. And Fukuoka gets tossed a couple times, and, again, doesn't really know what to do next. And it's, it's very repetitive in the kind of lostness of it all. Uh, even when it's trying to build up Fukuoka's like highest moves, whether it's a moonsault or her uh, wind-up punch to the chest, it's uh, it never gets the chemistry it needs to to get even into first gear. It's just a slog of not chemistry and very disappointing. I almost want to put a dud on it. Is how disappointed I was, but you know maybe I don't know two stars. It it it, it wasn't good. It it was not good at all and. I'm going to see what, um, so there's, there's a guy, his name, it's the, uh, Joshi spotlight at the blog of, uh, doom by a guy named Scott. He's reviewed a ton of these shows and I highly recommend kind of reading a lot of them. Uh, he does put a lot of background, uh, into, uh, the matches he goes, he, he recounts them move by move and then has a short, uh, stint to it. He gave this match. Let's see, he gave the Aja Kong Eagles to match two and three-fourths, and I don't necessarily disagree with that one. And he gave this one, he gave this one three and three-fourths, and I kind of think this is a little bit worse than the Aja Kong Eagles to match. And when I check this card out, I, it's, uh, with the exception of two, ooh, one match, this, um, when I think of the totality of what we're seeing, I think I think I'm saying Wrestling Queendom is a very disappointing show. Uh now with with all the context uh to each match and how 1993 is gone. Uh Bull Nakano uh pins this woman uh, soundedly. Survival 
eight-man tag team match. And this is, uh, so we just watched uh, Stardom's Naniwa Roulette not too long ago uh, upon this recording. And for that to be a unique uh, stipulation, this had its own stipulation. It's a, it's a cat. It is on one part a Captain's Fall eight-man tag. Okay, but also it's the case where non-captains can be eliminated, but also has the caveat of everyone gets a short five-minute match, and if any of those people lose in that five minutes uh and i'm not 100 percent sure on this i got many different uh answers was the the whole match is over or simply that person is eliminated in that case but what we have here is cases of uh it's a it's like a survivor series match with a captain essentially so we start out with uh, Devil Masami and Suzuka Manami. They go to a five-minute draw. It's pretty awesome with uh, with uh, both giving each other... Well, Suzuka Manami hits one powerbomb. Devil hits one of her own. Uh, I believe there's a Tiger Driver at one point. They're just hitting big moves. Devil Masami is, has very much gotten her new character down, and she's... You know, the last time we saw Devil Masami on one of these big interpromotional shows, she was, she was a little bit bigger, a little bit slower... Well, now she's in phenomenal shape again, and there's a move here where she has uh, Suzuka Minami in a vertical standing suplex, you know, uh, British Bulldog style, right? And then she just transitions into a press slam and drops this woman, and I'm like, okay, I like in my head, I go, I know Suzuka Minami, well, I don't know, but she, she's maybe... 120 or 30 or 40 pounds while devil Masami looks like she can bench press like six of these women she makes it look so effortless it's just so impressive uh, my so they go to a draw ozaki and shimoda are next and ozaki's hitting her big moves such as the tequila sunrise which is like the dragon suplex deal uh, shimoda's hitting hers it's basically just hit big moves in five minutes as as quick as you can. Plum Mariko and Etsuka Mita had a good... Um, they had a good little, like, technical match uh, right in, in, in there, because that's what Plum is, is more or less good at uh, from the JWP side. Uh, and before I go on to this next step, the JWP team of uh, Masami, Kansai Ozaki, and Plum Mariko is quite the the star power from JWP. I mean, if it was Cutie Suzuki instead of Plum Morito, this would be their A squad, right? And it's important to note that uh, I believe who's the, ca I think Plum Morito was the captain on JWP and Suzuka Minami was the captain on AJW. So it's essentially the weakest people on each squad as the captain, which is interesting. I mean, that, I guess that gives it, I, I guess if you're kind of in the know as a fan, that gives it the tension of the match can end at any time because it's the weakest person, right? So I did I did like that instead of in, instead of having like Kansai captain one team Akira Hokuto on the other. Uh, if well, also if those two aren't the captains, then they don't have to technically drop falls, right? To for the the match to be over, so you're also protecting your stars at the same time. You know, it's very very ingenious booking uh when you look 
you know, two steps further on paper. So all that's left now in the uh, time limit period is uh, Kansai against Hokuto. And they go toe-to-toe. The crowd is going nuts for this because it's essentially JWP's biggest star, or at least rising, against Akira Hokuto, AJW's biggest star, and the biggest star in women's wrestling uh, almost ever, right? I mean, Shigusa Nagayo is the most popular. Could you say a couple other people? Sure, but Akira Hokuto at this point in time, I mean, she's she's a god, right? <laughs> and she's still on that just busted knee. It's been repaired, and so they go to they go to locks, and Kansai just kicks her her she kicks her leg out of her leg to the point where Akira Hokuto like f- gets kicked out of the ring, <laughs> and she's shaking it off. And you're like, all right. And they 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 do um they have an excellent excellent I would say four minutes because they teased the first minute there so didn't need to do a lot of work here for Akira Akira Hokuto and Kansai hits the uh, the uh, the Splash Mountain right at the buzzer so it uh, really makes the the statement it's a, that reminded me of of uh, when Kansai and Ozaki got like fall one in the three WA tag match from earlier in the year. Uh, where Kansai hits Splash Mountain inside the first, like, 10 seconds and gets the first fall immediately. Uh, did that come at Dream Slam? So many of these shows are running together now. So, uh, then it's like a free-for-all for the next, man, 30 minutes? 20? Yeah, 20, 30 minutes. Manami eliminates Plum Morico with a Tiger Driver. Uh, Masami comes in and she's cleaning house. It's like one on two, but Masami advantage. And I believe, I believe Mita and Shimoda do, do they do the electric chair driver? And then that leads into Hokuto rolling her up. I think I got that right. Hokuto does roll her up, so Masami is rolled up, protected, <laughs> as as uh, the the legends and the old guards do. Uh, that leads it leads to a three match streak by essentially the three WA tag champions, Ozaki and Kansai. Ozaki eliminates Shimoda pretty handedly after uh, getting a lot of heat on her. Kansai just takes care of business against Mita. And then Kansai again eliminates Suzuka Minami for a huge JWP win. Uh, this match is great. This match is awesome. It's exciting. The stipulation is unique. This is good interpromotional warfare. Uh, four and a half stars by Meltzer. I'll go over back to the Joshi Spotlight page. They went four and three fourths, or he went four and three fourths in this match. I'm kind of at the uh, four and a quarter, four and a half range myself um maybe if i had a, a clearer picture of like what the beginning like rules were i would i would have been able to get into the first half even more than i did uh, but still a balls to the wall match i mean when you see four like eight people in or people in each corner and they all do superplexes and then they all do like headbutts you're like whoa bad idea but this is crazy <laughs> and i love it what a phenomenal match that leads us to the main event. Vacant All-Pacific title. Hokuto vacated this thing due to her 
uh, leg surgery. And uh, so it's uh, Toyota Yamada, the first time they've faced each other in a singles match since the hair match. So a lot of anticipation for Toyota and Yamada. Uh, The match went 30 minutes, 42 seconds. Uh, And I hate saying this. This is easily their worst match. Like, without question. This match was an absolute mess. Nothing seemed to go right. And I can... I was I was I was actually in my head comparing this match to the Momo Watanabe Saya Kamatani match that happened recently because they had good cardio and great ideas but they couldn't execute them well and that's like the definition of a lucha match like if if you watch lucha and they're doing crazy shit and they nail them it can be one of the greatest matches you've ever seen however if they don't nail them it can be one of the sloppiest and you're not and you're really going to struggle with it and be disappointed uh this match is absolutely on the ladder of what i just described they're trying uh lots of counters late in the match and they're slipping and kind of falling on their ass when they when they flip over uh, there's a lot of mistimed drop kicks and uh, just just about everything goes wrong in the second half. And the f- the first half they try to keep a pace, and maybe they got tired a bit, and the cardio finally went out for them. But I cannot recommend this match other than the historical sense that Toshi Yamada is the All Pacific Champion, and she beat Minami Toyo to get it. In that sense, it's worth watching for the his- historical context. The match itself, I did not care for. I did not care for at all. And I really want to read uh, something from, let's see. Here we go. This is from the Joshi Spotlight page, so I'll quote him on this. Uh, He says, very good, different kind of match from these two in a very, very slow, deliberate pace by their usual standards. owing to go 30 minutes, with holds taking up the majority of the first half because nobody's sprinting through that. That could easily be boring, but Minami's uh, selling, combined them, shaking it up, and often doing uh, very inventive-looking holds. So what we got here is, a, is, is, to me, a boring first half, and then a second half that utterly fell apart in my mind and what I saw. <clears throat> things just didn't hit flush. Things just didn't hit smooth. And it was over and over and over again. Uh, This was a Manami Toyota miss of a match. Uh, I hate saying. And (laughs) I'm not letting Yamada off the hook either, because she wasn't hitting very well either. Uh, Look, I liked every one of their matches prior to this. I've had arguments over which one of those previous ones were better than the other, including the hair match, because that's where the the post-match angle of that is what that's famous for. But this one is definitely a, a, a distant, uh, a distant, I guess, fourth in my mind. And I, I want to see them try to run this back at a later date to see uh, what happens. Uh, Meltzer gave this four stars. Uh, Joshi Spotlight went, I guess he went, he went four and a half. He's, he's very, very, uh, very much higher than me on that. Um you know, I'm I'm curious to see what this Toshi Yamada white belt reign is like. I hope they don't uh, boxing title it where she'll 
defend it once a year and lose it on the first or second try. That's that's very uh, uh, common. But here we are. Uh, hopefully, there's uh, hopefully there's a, a little bit of change to that with a with a new champion and maybe a new direction here. Uh, in our next AJW Destiny episode, uh, so here's where I get a little tricky. Episodes 85 through seemingly 92, 93 uh, aren't exactly clear uh, what they are going to be because the various sites that I have don't spell out what shows or matches there are. So I won't really know until I start watching uh, what's coming up. But I do know I have the the long (laughs) St. Final Battle show. Uh, there's a there's the Corican Hall of the ending of the Tag League of '93, and those two will be the last of uh, 1993, the year. So I might just do those two, one after the uh, one after the other. I'll do same final battle in one go, and the Corican in another, and just to get through '93, and that'll take me into '87, uh, '88, and I can catch anything that's at the beginning of 94 and go from there because the uh classics kind of start at like february 27th 94 from what i could tell and we're gonna end up missing um at least one big show one or two big shows in between there so i think i think that's how i'll plan it out but uh, that's just giving you guys an idea of how to how to keep up with me remember share the uh share ajw destiny share the red leaf retrocast if you're interested in more Joshi Wrestling content and more historical context, uh, look up the Patreon, patreon.com slash redleafretrocast for Joshi 2010s, uh, the Joshi Google Drive, and the LLPW shows, along with uh, Pure J covering each and every month, as well, along with other articles. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll see you next time.